Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, and then we will also be pulling in uh, verses from chapters 18 and 19 as well. Uh, this is our first uh, live stream with a new camera system, and so we're not sure what it looks like nor sounds like right now, but uh, after I get back home today, I will uh, check it and see. Uh, I don't have to have my phone up here to start anything or to stop anything, you know, so so that's good. And the, all all of this has been cleaned up up here. Don't have any cords out in the, the the floor anymore. No cords under the benches anymore. And so got it all looking neat and clean. Now we just hope that it's doing a good job of streaming. <laughs> if it makes me look good is the main thing, right? Wes, what are you laughing about? It, if it makes me look good, you know, that, that is the, the main thing. But uh, ho- hopefully it will be doing what it is supposed to do. It is so good to have you all with us today. Again, as I said, our visitors, we're grateful that you are here. Uh, I'll do some announcements at the end of the service. Uh, I'm finding out it's better to do announcements at the end of the service than the beginning of the service because everyone's not here at the beginning of the service, but they're usually here at the end of the service. <laughs> You're not the last ones. There's still others. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm, I'm rearranging my, my schedule some in, in what I do. And so... Uh, but I'll update you on some things at the end of the service today. But uh, Genesis chapter 13, uh, verses 10 through 13 is uh, the scripture we're going to read. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. If survey this morning, survey of parents, and ask them, what one part of raising a child troubled them the most? Now, I know that it would depend on the age of that child currently. It, you know, that what troubles you with a six-month-old is not the same as a 16-year-old. People often think when they have small children that as they get older, it's going to get better. Everybody's got to figure this out on their own, but when they get older, it usually is not better. As a child, you, you can uh, say, you go here, you go there, you do this, you do that, you stay with me, you don't stay with them. I mean, you can be in almost complete control, almost militantly in control. But by the time they hit those teen years, things begin to change. So when we start talking about this survey, we, we have to narrow it down. And I'm going to say, let's consider the teen years. 
What is one of the toughest parts of raising a child when they're in their teen years? Let me give you some possibilities. Making the right friends. Do you know that the friends that your children make are very important? I know we're always those people who say, well, they got with the wrong crowd. Part of the time, our kids are the wrong crowd. It's not always those kids. Sometimes it's our kids. But but it's always important who their friends are. You know, there are all kind of jokes about preacher's kids. Have y'all ever heard any of those jokes about preacher's kids? Uh, Rhonda's heard them since she is a PK. Uh, Rhonda's heard them since she is the wife of a preacher. Uh, I, I mean, you, you know why preacher's kids are so mean? They play with the deacon's kids. So, see, who, who their friends with does matter. It, it makes a difference. But what about earning good grades? Uh, a lot of parents struggle with their kids, especially from the time they get to junior high and high school, and, and the course load <clears throat> increases, and and what they're studying is so far above what most of the parents did when they were in school that it's like, how do we help them? And we really want them to get good grades, and we need them to study, and but we're working 50 hours a week, and so how do we have time to work with them and help them to do that? And, and so... It becomes a real struggle in the life of a parent that their kids are get good grades in school, but then good work ethics. I'm grateful the way that I was raised. I can't say that I was grateful while I was being raised. Do you all understand that? When I was being raised and I had to wash dishes and I had to mow the grass and I had to hoe in the garden... And I had to break beans, snap beans. I had to, to peel tomatoes and cut up tomatoes. I had to do all of that. I, I can't say that I enjoyed any of that. But now at this young age that I am, I look back on it and, and I am so grateful that, that I was raised that way because it ingrained in me at a young age work ethics. I, I learned, I understood what it meant to earn, earn your living by the sweat of your brow, as Scripture says. And so parents struggle with kids learn good work ethics or not. And we really see a, a, an epidemic today of those who don't have good work ethics. But then the last one on my list is allowing them to start driving. How many of you have already lived through that? How many, oh, you, you've, oh, I don't know about y'all, but for me, it was a hard thing. And one of the reasons it was hard for me was that in the 11th grade in high school, my best friend was killed in a car wreck. So when Melissa got old enough to get her permit, and then her restricted license and her license, and then Philip followed along behind getting his. Anytime they left the house, I could imagine the worst possible scenario. Anybody understand this? Anybody else ever do that? They were late coming in, and you immediately think, oh, Lord, they're in a wreck. They're at the hospital. They, You know, you start thinking all of these thoughts. 
So, so being able to turn them loose to drive, it is a really big deal. Now, I grew up in Chesterfield County. And when I was growing up, you didn't have to worry about the traffic. You might have to worry about a rabbit or a dog or a cow. But you didn't have to worry about the traffic. Man, I would hate to be trying to teach kids how to drive in the upstate of South Carolina now. Thank you very much, Wes. Your time is coming. I'd hate to be trying to teach them how to drive through rush hour Greer traffic or the Burger King intersection at Lyman Duncan Welford just before school time of the morning or as school lets out in the afternoon. I don't even know what to do. It's like mad chaos. So parents struggle with this. And as they struggle with this, that they begin to talk to their kids about driving and, and how to drive and what to do and, and, and tell them the dangers that are out there. And it goes on and on and on. And, and here are two words that parents say over and over and over. Be careful. How many of you ever told your child to be careful when they left to drive somewhere? Be careful. A lot of you've got grown children now. How many times do you still say to them, "Be careful"? My mom would would say that, and 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 I wanted to. You you've kind of learned my sense of humor, I think, over the last couple of years. In my sense of humor, I want to look at mom and say, "No, I am not going to be careful. Don't tell me to be careful. I am not going to be." And really, I'm thinking, do you think I'm not going to be careful? Do you think I want to get in a wreck? Sure, I'm going to be careful. But I've been known to tell my children the same thing. Be careful. And why is it? Because we recognize the danger associated with driving. I, I remember what maybe the first time that we turned Melissa loose to, to go. I mean, she, she drove a group of teenage girls uh, and herself to Pigeon Forge. Boy, that was a stressful week for, for me. To turn them loose. And I'm sure I probably said before they left, be careful. And they're going to be saying the same thing to their children. All of those dangers associated with it. Basically use the same two words of be careful. As they relate to their church members. As they relate to, to those who come in to visit. Those who listen live stream or... The following week, pa- pastors also, they may not come out and use those two exact words to be careful, but they're always implying be careful. Because if a pastor understands the distinct possibility of what may happen to one of the believers... The greatest fear that I think most pastors have is that their member or members will backslide. Now, backslide is not exactly a biblical term. But I think you understand the term backsliding. Backsliding is when out of God's will, away from God, begin to do our own thing, even though we are a believer. Now, I'm not talking about the normal ups and down, day-to-day issues that we have as believers. Every believer I've ever known will go through those times that they are extremely close to 
in those times that they are doing everything they can to serve God and to be in His will. Go through the time, go through the valley when it's like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm doing so, not that I really want to, but I'm doing so. We all go through seasons of hot and cold in our relationship to God. It's just like in a family, you go through those hot and cold periods in a marriage and hot and cold periods with your children. So, so believers go through these hot and cold periods with, with, with God also. But what I'm talking about is far more serious than that. I'm talking about when a believer makes that willful decision to step away from faith, step away from the church, and step away from the Savior. Now, if they're saved, they're saved. They're not going to be lost because they're doing this, but they become what we call in a backslidden state, which means that they're out of God's will, and any time we're out of God's will, we understand that God may bring chastisement and judgment upon us to get us back into His will. And so pastors look out over their congregations, and they're fearful that that will happen to someone that they love. Someone who is seated on the pew. Someone who's active and involved. So, if that is a backdrop, let's examine the, the story of Lot. Because in Lot, I see this. I see that believer who willfully ignores God and walks away from his faith. So there there are two lessons that I want to bring out from these verses of Scripture today. The first is the steps in Lot's backsliding. How was it that Lot got to where he did? As you study the life of Lot, and as you study what happened in these verses and the other verses I'm going to be bringing in, you quickly see there's a great similarity between Lot and Eve in how they went from one relationship to God to another relationship to God. How they went from living in peace and harmony with God to being against God. Very similar between Eve and Lot. So so what are these steps in Lot's backsliding? Verse 10 the first thing he was he looked at Sodom. We all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin within the, those cities, uh, the sins of homosexuality and what was taking place there. And in verse 10, we find, first of all, that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan Valley. It was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. He, he began to cast his vision towards this, what he thought, great place. He saw well-watered plains. He, he saw people of means. He looked at it and he thought, that's where I want to be. And Abram was giving him an option to choose where he wanted to go. The, their herds have grown so much, Abram's herds and Lot's herds, that they could no longer stay together. And so Abram said... You decide which way you want to go, and then I'll go the other direction. But I'm going to give you the choice. And Lot looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that not what Eve did as she looked at the fruit 
Was that not the first thing that she did? She, she looked. That, that is always the first step in backsliding. It is always the first step in seeing it is we, we look, we, we let our eyes be focused upon something. And it's more than a casual glance. It is a prolonged look and thinking, oh, man, that really looks Good and inviting. The second step is that he longed for Sodom. Look at verse 12. It said, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. He longed to be there. He first looked and saw the well-watered plains. He looked and saw the cities. He looked and saw what looked inviting and enticing. And, and next thing we know, he, he is longing to be there to the extent that he's moving his tent towards that place so he can be there. It, it's kind of like, y- y'all know I like food, right? How many of you know that I like to eat? Uh, I, I like food. I mean, we, we, we've been having fun at the house recently eating root beer floats. Whew. Man. Anybody else in here like root beer floats? Well, I would share one with you, but it's all gone. But, but you know, you, you, you can look at the root beer and you can look at the ice cream and like, mmm. And you look at it again and it's like, mmm. You know what you start doing then? You start longing for it. It's like, Rhonda, what time do we do the, the floats today? Is it time to fix the float yet? No, I am full. But, but, no, not, not yet. You, you, you start longing for it. Lot was longing to be a part of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, he looked, he longed, and then in chapter 19 and verse 1, we find that he's living there. It says, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was where? He was sitting in the gate of Sodom. He was sitting there with the city elders. He had looked at Sodom and Gomorrah from a distance. He longed for it to the extent of moving his tent close. But now here he is living in Sodom. He, he is in the gate with the elders of the city. He is bought in. He is a part of it. This, this is his new home. It's a transition from looking to longing to living. And this happens to believers all the time. They, they look at a sin. It's enticing. They long to be a part of that. And they eventually live in that sin. And they become what we term backslidden. They walk away from their faith. They walk away from the church. And they walk away from their Savior. They still have a relationship. If you're saved, you're saved. They they still have a relationship. But you wouldn't know it by looking at them. Because of the way that they're living. So that's the first lesson. The the steps in Lot's backsliding. The second lesson is this. The seriousness of Lot's backsliding. We, we don't take sin seriously in America anymore. You know how I know that? I look at the news. 
I, I look at the current movie selections. I, I look at the, the new sitcoms that come out. I didn't say I watch them. I, I look at them to see what they are. I, 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 I look at what the average American now thinks is the right way to live. And as I look at it, I know that they're not taking sin seriously. A lot of them don't even like the word sin. They don't like the Sin. They don't want you to mention that word. They don't want to be called a sinner. They are opposed to that in every form and fashion. We, we just don't take sin seriously. This, this backsliding is serious business. Let's, let's look at how serious that it is. Number one, for, for what? He sacrificed his morals in, in chapter 19 in verse 8. Remember, two angels have come to the city of Sodom. They're entering into the city, and the the elders don't recognize them as being angels. They recognize them as being two men that have come into the city. And that night, the men of the city came to Lot's house where these two guests were staying, and these men of the city came there wanting to bring those men out to them so they could have their sexual way with them. And listen to what Lot did. That all started with a look. Verse 8 says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you. And do to them as you please. You're talking about depraved, wicked, ungodly. Lot said, I will give you my two virgin daughters to do whatever you want to with. I cannot imagine any father any father being willing to give up their daughters to a mob of men to do whatever you want to do. His morals were gone. He no longer knew right from wrong. He was living according to the flesh. Secondly, he silenced his witness. In chapter 18, verses 23 through 33, we find Abram is talking to God. And Abram is interceding on behalf of Lot and the city of Sodom. And he is saying to God, if we can find 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? What if we find 45? What if we find 40? Maybe 30. God, if we can only find 20. God, what if there's only 10? Would you spare the city? You know what that tells me? Lot was living there. 
Lot was a part of the elder sitting in the gate of the entrance to the city. But Lot had no witness. He had had no spiritual influence. Because they couldn't even find ten righteous people out of the whole city. How could he have any spiritual influence when he had looked for and longed for and was living in the middle of them and willing to even give his daughters up to a mob of men? Sin will rob you of your witness. It will rob you of your influence. I imagine Lot talked about God from time to time. I imagine God was some of the conversation. I remember, imagine he talked about him and Abram in their herds and how God had blessed them. I imagine he, he talked about all of that. But the way he was living had had no impact upon that city. When we backslide, we're not going to influence people for God. Thirdly, not only he sacrificed his morals, silenced his witness, but he stained his family. We like to think that whatever we do affects only us. You all heard anybody preacher but me. There was a man many years ago that said there's no man as an island unto himself. That simply means that whatever we do will affect someone else. Either for good or for bad. But it will always affect someone else. And what? Looking and longing and living and losing his testimony and his witness and his morals. Number one, it affected his family. His wife in chapter 19 and verse 26. You know the story is they are fleeing from Sodom before God destroys it. And God says, don't look back. Just flee. And what happened to Lot's wife? She looked back. And the scripture says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now I can't explain any of that to you other than the fact that the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. The main thing you need to know about that was she got judged for disobeying God, but she should not have had been in that place to begin with to worry about obeying God about that. If Lot had done what should have been done, if Lot had lived the way he should have lived, his wife would have never been having to flee from Sodom and worrying about whether she looked back or not. So what Lot did stained his family. It it destroyed his wife. That's bad. But what about his daughters? Chapter 19, verses 30 through 36. It tells how that Lot and his daughters made it out. They survived. They got to the mountain. And Lot's two daughters looked around. And they thought the whole world had been destroyed. There's nobody left. And the older said to the younger, There's no men. 
We won't be able to have any babies to continue the seed of our father. What are we going to do? Ah, I have a plan. Let's get dad drunk on the wine. And once he's drunk, we'll go in and sleep with him. Get pregnant so that we can continue his lineage. The Bible says that the older one did so the first night. And the plan worked like a charm. So at night she said to the younger one, it's your turn. We'll get him drunk again on the wine. And when he's drunk and doesn't know what he's doing, you go in and lay with him and conceive. And the Bible says they both conceived. And when you read the names of the two sons that were born, you're reading the names of some of the most evil people that lived in that nation that caused so much hurt and heartache and to, to the children of Israel. Could you imagine? Lot, Lot could have never thought when he first looked. He, he never thought about his wife was going to be destroyed. I'm sure he never thought that his daughters would get him drunk and come in and sleep with him so they could conceive a child. But all of it happened. Because Lot had backslidden against God. Lot knew what was right. Lot knew how to live right. Lot knew how to be a godly man. But he took that look and he started longing. He moved there, lived there, became a part of the community, sat at the gate with the elders, offered his two daughters to this mob of men for them to rape and pillage any way they wanted to to protect these two strangers who had come in. Lost his wife. And then impregnated his two daughters. Man, isn't that a... I can't even think of the heartbreak. I, I can't even describe the heartbreak. I feel sure at some point, Lot recognized what had happened because of his decision. And that's the reason that preachers, evangelists, pastors, that, that's the reason we preach against sin over and over and over. That's the reason that we, we challenge and sometimes chastise. That, that's the reason that we, we, we do everything in our power from the pulpit to say, don't do that. Don't walk away from your faith. Don't walk away from your church. Don't walk away from your Savior. Don't backslide against God because the cost in the end is going to be far more than you could have ever imagined. Don't do it. And yet people do it. Pastors' hearts are broken regularly as they look at people in their congregation who weren't, once were on fire for God, active in the church, doing 
everything right, leaving a godly lifestyle, and all of a sudden, the switch is flipped. It breaks pastors' hearts when that happens. A, a pastor who is truly a pastor, who is truly being called of God to be a pastor, been truly called to a church to be the pastor there, it's his, he looks at it as his people, his family. And pastors hurt when they see this happen to their people. And so, as a pastor, I say, be careful. Other pastors are saying, be careful. Just like parents say to their children when they leave on a trip, or when they go out the door to drive to football practice or whatever, be careful, it's dangerous out there. What we say to believers, be careful, it's dangerous out there. Our society, our, our morals in our society, it's a, it's a minefield. Be careful. Be careful who you hang with. Be careful where you go to. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you're involved in. Because it's so easy to simply look and end up where Lot did. It is my job as a pastor to always say to you, be careful. I love you and I don't want anything to happen to you. I love you and I don't want God's judgment upon you. I love you and I don't want you to bring reproach upon God. Be careful. We will go back into the world on tomorrow. Some may go back into the world today for a job or whatever. It's a dangerous place. This is a warning and an encouragement to just be careful how you live and where you live. Would you stand? All heads bowed and all eyes closed. First question is, do you know that you're saved? Second question is, have you felt the world trying to lead you astray and lead you away? So today would be a really good day to settle that. You can come to the altar and you can pray where you are. If there's a need for salvation, please speak to me after the service and let me share with you the, the, the way of salvation. Uh, it, it is so vitally important that we know and that we do. Father, I pray that today that you would speak to each heart. And Lord, if there's one here lost, may they know they're lost. And may they allow me to share with them how to be saved. There's someone here who has been feeling the tug of the world, thinking that it won't affect anybody else if they go. Remind them today, danger, and of the possibilities. Lord, may we not be a lot 
but may we serve you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of announcements to, to share with you. Uh, reason only part of the lights have been on is we have a heating and air problem. If y'all want to sit down, it won't take me just a minute, but all the heating and air equipment is like 30 years old, and one of the units decided this was the right time to die. We want to have a funeral for it. But we're having to decide how we can have the funeral for it. We're, we're getting some estimates in. Right now, the estimates are ranging from 25000 to $40,000 because everything is 30 years old. Uh, I'm going to talk with uh, the heating and air guy again tomorrow and say, we, we need a lower figure. We need the minimum that we can do that will last for a while. Right now we have the one unit, thankfully, that, that still works. So we're turning it on, on like, I turned it on late Friday afternoon and set it on 65. When I came in this morning, it was 65 in here. Me and Madison were looking for jackets. We were cold. Dee Dee was saying, wow, I love it. And so it's a process. And we don't have anything to tell you yet other than we're checking to see what we can come up with. Uh, September the 9th, we're planning to paint again in the classrooms. Uh, the hallway is pretty much finished, so we'll be ready to start up there. Ladies, September the 18th is ladies, ladies' night out here at the church. Uh, we'll have a lady here to lead in making crafts of, uh, uh, yeah, wreaths, wreaths to go in the door. It's hard to say wreath, but door wreaths. Not funeral wreaths now, but it, it, you can get you can choose the colors and all for what you want to do, and uh, so I'll have a sign up sheet later for you to to sign up for, and then we're doing the Connie Maxwell pounding again uh, this year for the North Spartan Association, and we have been asked to collect cream of mushroom soup. There's a box in the vestibule out there that's already got cans of cream of mushroom soup in it. We have from now until like the third week in October to collect these cans. And so just pick up a couple of cans when you buy groceries each week and bring them and put them in the box. The box gets full. We'll empty it, fill it back up again. Uh, Connie Maxwell Children's Home is, is a great, great ministry that South Carolina Baptists have. And so we get to be a, a part of that. And so uh, if you would uh, bring the can suit. And lastly, to close out today, uh, we want to pray for those going back to school. I've got a list here. Jackson. Jackson's in Charleston for some medical tests right now. But Jackson started back this past week. Uh, Jaden starts, I think it's this coming week. John Wesley and Bella, when do y'all start? You've never stopped. Y'all are so into it. Yeah. So John Wesley and Bella homeschool, pray for them, pray for their teacher or teachers, maybe I should say. Uh Madison's in school. She she's gonna be that sweet young lady who says, Make a fist so I can draw the blood out. Yeah. I told her, I said, I'll be your guinea pig because I want you to do it right. So if she needs me to come over. I told her I'd come over, and if I pass out, she'll, it'll be her fault, is, is, is all I can say. But pray for Madison uh, as she is in school. You've got, what, two, three more months? 
Don't know? Oh, so, so you, you're getting close. All right. So if she calls y'all to come to get your blood drawn, y'all go. You going this week? Let me know how it goes. <laughs> Caleb, when are you going? <laughs> and, and lastly, Rob. Uh, Rob and those, I think, are out of town this weekend. But, you know, Rob is school resource officer at DR Hill, a new school this year. So we want to pray for Rob also that uh, God to keep him safe as he works to keep the children safe in the school. Are there any other students or teachers that I didn't mention that, that y'all know of? Oh, we've, and Ms. Sharon over here, she teaches all the time, so I never think about her going back. But she's at Coast to Coast. Preschool. Preschool. I always, daycare comes to my mind, and I know she's going to, if I say daycare, she's going to get me. Coast to Coast Preschool. You've been there how many years now? Ten years. So, so pray for Sharon. Are there, are there others? Pray for her kids. I think her kids like her. I know one does. Yeah, yes. So let's, let's pray for all of these. If you would, let's gather at the altar as we have our cl- closing prayer, praying for each one of these students and workers and, um,